What's up, gamers? I'm Tori Dominguez. And I'm Noah Hertz. And welcome to Press Start. It's the podcast for gamers who have had to awkwardly tell family members that they want video games for the holidays. So what's been happening in the big, wide world of games, Noah? Man, there's just been all kinds of stuff. It's been a minute since we did an episode, so some of this news is like not the craziest up to date, but it's been the holidays and it's been hectic. So I think the first big piece of news that we had said we wanted to talk about was that North America officially has its first video games union. Uh, Pull in a lot of this information from an article on Polygon, which I will drop in the show notes by Nicole Carpenter. The first games union was formed by Vadio Games, which is a small, like, 13-person independent company. And I guess I'm not crazy surprised that they're the first games union in North America, but, like, how cool is that, honestly? Why does it not surprise you? Oh, it's not surprising that it's taken so long for them? Okay, yeah. but I meant, like, what's special about Vadio Games that makes it more unionizable? I think the thing that's special about it that makes it more unionizable is that there's like 13 people, which like... Yeah, there's not enough people for there to be an asshole. I guess not, yeah, but... Yeah, I think once you hit 14, it's like, oh no, a scab. <laughs> once, you, <laughs> once you hit 14, you get a Bobby Kotick in the group, no. and, then, and there's no fucking coming back. <laughs> like, this is why, yeah, I think all games, all games should only be made by 13 people. I think it's just remarkable, not just that they unionized, but they just start a union become the first North American video games union. They secured a four-day work week. I feel like this is a conversation that's being had, not just in games, but like in general. Like there is an episode of a podcast I listen to. I'm not going to plug it because it's part of my employer um, that talks about <laughs> that talks about the four-day work week. And I've noticed this is starting to get some traction. There's a Twitter account I follow called The Financial Diet. They're like, this is totally not games related, but they're a personal finance company. They help young people, particularly young women, like get a handle on their finances. And their CEO like made the transition to a four day work week like last year and did like a little tweet thread report on like what it's done. And like all they did to create a four day work week was just cut unnecessary meetings. And they Damn. got the same amount of work done, which makes you think. The thing that's so cool about this to me, too, is that, like, this news comes just on the heels of just a torrent of horrible, horrible news about video game companies and about the abuses that are happening in these companies and how so many of them have this, like, rot at their very structure. Yeah. And then you get the cool news about this little company about they they wanted to unionize and they were voluntarily recognized by the company and they didn't even have to push for a vote or really push for much of anything like they just came forward and they were like we want to be a union and this is what we want and their employers were like yeah absolutely it's so, a christmas miracle for gamers it is it is i know and yeah it seems like such a glimmer of hope we we're just getting like horrible allegation after horrible allegation and there's one little company who's like we want to be treated correctly and we are being treated correctly and that gives me some hope um obviously it's different when you have like a triple a studio compared to a studio like this but it, it definitely it, it was very refreshing to hear about it and you played uh one of the games they offer right yeah i i don't want to get too well what the hell we can get deep into it now i was going to bring this up when we talk about what we've been playing but the there was a huge switch eShop sale just for the holidays and everything i think it's their post christmas everybody has christmas money sale mm -hmm. and the the one big game the company has made is called beast breakers and it's a little 
turn-based RPG. You play as like a little red wall mice, mouse, knight guy. And you know the game Breakout where it's yes. like, yeah, 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 the ball bouncing up down, you're moving it. It's kind of like turn-based Breakout with RPG mm. mechanics. And it's like really fucking fun. You play as like a little mouse guy and you have a sword and shield and you're collecting like different weapons and different resources and stuff and killing these big monsters that are made out of like big polygonal shards and you have to knock them out in a certain number of turns um it's really fun i guess my my only complaint with it is that like it has a suite of different weapons you can choose from i haven't unlocked all of them yet there's like a sword and shield there's a bow and arrow there's a war hammer but none of them feel as good to play as as the sword and shield which is like the first weapon you get but like I don't know, it's it's really fun. It was only seven fifty on the eShop. Uh, I don't know if it's still going to be on sale by the time people hear this, but normal price is only ten bucks, and you get to support a company that like voluntarily unionized. So Hell it's yeah. really cool, and I, it makes me think a lot about. It was just a tweet that made the rounds around video game Twitter a year or two ago. That was like, I want shorter games made by fewer people who work less, and. I've really tried to kind of push myself to play more games like that because I know they're out there and I know they're only going to get attention if people play them and spend money on them. But mm -hmm. it's very true. Like I, I would rather play a game like this that might not have the craziest, most realistic graphics and the craziest amount of content to play, but I only spent $750 on it and nobody like had a heart attack or has PTSD after working on the mouse game. So it's cool. I recommend it. Yeah. The, the fewer people whose marriages fell apart as a result of making the game, the better. And I, I will say too, based on the things I've read, like this is not the only company that makes video games that's like not a horrific place to work at. Like I, I left a note in our show notes here about uh, the company that made Dead Cells. Have you played Dead Cells at all? No. I know it's like a Metroidvania type roguelike that's on Switch, it's on PS4, it's received like a bunch of DLC. It might have been nominated for a game award a couple years ago. I don't know, I'm too lazy to Google that and I don't care about the game awards that much. But it was developed by a French studio called Motion Twin that describes themselves as an anarcho-syndicalist collective that like does not have a boss and everybody is paid the same which is to say more than average and yeah smaller work weeks when somebody's starting to get burnt out they go home and they make fewer games slower but the big game they have made dead cells like has a lot of acclaim and i, I want to see more stuff like that uh there's yeah. a really good article in poly or not in polygon in kotaku about this studio which i will also drop in the show notes and it's it's interesting too because the the article Kotaku ran about these guys, which is called "Game Studio with No Bosses Pays Everyone the Same," which kind of feels like a gotcha to me. But the last line of the article is the person from Motion Twin talking, and this article is from 2018, and he says, "We're probably going to joke about game industry work conditions in a few years." He said because it's just obviously ridiculous and inefficient. People are simply not disposable resources, and it's like. We were already having that discussion in 2018, mm -hmm. but it feels oddly prescient to be saying in 2018, like, we're going to be having this discussion soon. And then that so Here much coming. Yeah, that becoming so prevalent in the discussions about Activision and Blizzard in recent months. Yeah. 
And speaking of other gaming labor news, and actually like bad gaming labor news, oh, damn um, I saw this bonkers video, um, this YouTube video. Let me just quickly look up the user. Yeah, it's by this YouTuber called People Make Games. I was actually introduced to it because Jesse sent it to me and he was like, you should pitch a story about this. And I was like, I don't even know what this is. And basically, People Make Games talks about and really delves into the mechanics of Roblox and how Roblox actually exploits children. Nice. Um, and I was like, how does Roblox exploit children? And it's a, it's a long video, um, kind of like 20 minutes long or so, but you should totally watch it. We'll link it down. Mm -hmm. But the gist of it is that Roblox, the whole like idea of Roblox is that you play different experiences. You play games that other users have made. That's the cool thing. You can make your own game. That's kind of like the whole thing. It's like you can make your own game, which is just like very appealing to children because they're like learning skills and becoming creative. And it is kind of a good thing. But Roblox has really postured itself as being a place where you can make games and make money off of those games. Mm. And the issue is the algorithm promotes certain games um that are made by you know users who have managed to like, really just hack it and really managed to get the thing that people want to play but there's like millions and millions of games that barely even see the live day or get anyone to play it and so you're getting like literal children like struggling and trying to make games and potentially even burning themselves out trying to make games so that other people will play it uh, people made games, interviewed an 11-year-old who was sad about the fact that not enough people played his game. He didn't make much money off of it, mm -hmm. um, which is really sad, by the way. Um, he described the 11-year-old as being a jaded 30-year-old developer in an 11-year-old's body, which is funny and very <laughs> sad. That's horrible. And then the other fucked up thing about Roblox, and this is this is some like truly some like MLM type shit, is the currency in Roblox is not American dollars. It's Robux, which is like the currency in, in Roblox. You know, and if you make like some Robux, you know, you make some money, you want to be able to withdraw that and get that into real world dollars. Well, here's the thing. Yeah. In order to do that, uh, there is a minimum fee of like a thousand dollars US no dollars. Way. That's a shit ton of Robux. So you have people who have actually made like a few hundred dollars, which when you're a kid, $800 is like, wow, I'm a rich man. Like, I'm going to go buck wild this money, but you can't even withdraw it from Roblox because it doesn't even meet the minimum withdrawal fee. So you just have this money that's just permanently stuck in Roblox. And then you were like, oh, well, maybe I'll spend this Robux on getting other things that'll help me make other games. And then it just stays in that economy that closed huh. loop and doesn't actually service the real world and actually have like a monetary impact on people. Um, that's so weird to me. It's just, it was kind of insane how like they talked to some people who have made some like top games, the top games or the top 25 games that are like, or experiences that are promoted to you in Roblox. So you see when you log onto Roblox and they're like grown men, they're like, like adults, but you see these kids like chipping away at trying to make it and it just felt kind of like a pyramid scheme yeah um but yeah it, it's a truly wild video and i don't know get them young i guess but that reminds me so much of the stuff i've been reading recently have you read anything about this game it's called axie infinity no what's up so it's been described as one of the first and 
I already hate myself for saying this out loud, but one of the first like NFT blockchain games. Oh god. Yeah. And basically the way the game works based on my understanding, I've read a few articles. I read there was a really good article in the newsletter called Garbage Day, which I can also drop a link to in the show notes. It's a very good newsletter about like tech and gaming culture and stuff that's written by a guy who is about as jaded as we sound. And the the premise of Axie Infinity is that it's basically like a Pokemon-esque RPG, where it's like you have a team of three little monsters and they fight against the enemy's team of three little monsters. But the the kicker is is that each of the little monsters, I believe they're called Axies, are NFTs. So each of them is unique and each of them is worth a certain amount of Ethereum, which is, correct me if I'm wrong, a cryptocurrency? Yes? Very uh, mm-hmm. sure, I, yeah. This shit goes so far over my head. But uh, so there, each of the axes is worth a X amount of Ethereum. And in order to play the game, you need to have three axes. So if I want to get into playing Axie Infinity now, this is not the start of the wave. The game is apparently massively popular in Southeast Asia, so much so that some people have started pivoting to instead of doing gig work, just playing Axie Infinity and effectively like Bitcoin mining, but in this JRPG. And if I want to get into it now, I need axes. And to get axes, I have to buy them off of people. So the the article I read in Garbage Day was talking about somebody who spent this guy just to write this newsletter to try the game, spent 120 bucks buying these little shits so that he could play the game. And he was like, yeah, the game was fine. Like, it's okay. But it's built upon the premise that you'll play the game and you'll enjoy the game. And eventually you'll be able to sell those axes for more money than you paid because they'll have more experience points or they'll have whatever. But again, it's based on, and this is less of a closed loop because I I don't think there's a, if there is a limit on the amount of Ethereum you need to cash out, I'm not aware of it. I've not played it, but it, it is in essence still kind of a questionable economic system because if tomorrow we all decide we don't want to play Axie Infinity anymore or their servers go down and never come back, all of that that ecosystem, all of that money collapses and is gone. I can't help but think it's a bubble. And it's once again, one of those things that I I feel like I don't know enough about economics. And I feel like I don't know enough about X, Y, and Z to properly put a finger on why it feels wrong, but it just feels very exploitative. And even if people are making it good in the present, good for them, it feels like it's going to end up fucking somebody at some point. I feel like it will. And like I said, I think the structure is kind of like a pyramid scheme. Like you buy these things, you collect your little guys, you level up your guys and you try to sell them to your downline, essentially, to someone who is less experienced than you so that you earn a profit. I mean, like if you just swap that with leggings, you've got like the (laughs) LuLaRoe documentary. Great documentary, by the way, you should watch it. And how fucked is it when they're targeting little kids with the promise of, don't worry, guys, you're going to be able to make the next big hit Roblox game. And in doing so, you're going to drive so much traffic to our platform. I know. that's It's so weird to me. It's so weird. Yeah, I, I just, I can't imagine. I, I, this type of thing wasn't around when I was a kid. So I guess I just want to know, like, do the majority of users on Roblox, like, make experiences or they just simply play other experiences and just, like, hang out in their friends experiences but again I, I don't know maybe I should call my 12 year old cousin he's been playing a lot of Roblox lately he just tested positive for COVID over Christmas I know Oof. that kid's playing the shit out of Roblox right now 
you are right though because talking about this kind of stuff does make me feel the closest to like i don't know i guess how boomers must feel when they look at stuff old man yells at cloud it makes me feel very old man yells at cloud because i think it is a net good that there are free-to-play video games like when i was a kid back when i was a boy when i got a game boy advance i had to buy a game to play anything on it like there was no there was no pokemon built into it that had microtransactions that like i was still a product even though i owned the game and i think it's a net positive that there are free-to-play video games but it comes back to that old adage about the internet of if it's free then you're the is it, if it's free then you're the product. you're the product yeah if it's free then you're the product these things, these kinds of ecosystems are built on the premise that you're going to end up loving it so much you will sink enough money into it for it to be viable. So it, it's got to it's gotta not be great as a kid growing up playing so much stuff that is built like that. Like I think the closest thing I ever came to that when I was younger was, uh, did you ever play the Little Big Planet games on PS3? Oh yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Remember? Because the, the premise of those was that it was like a fully fledged platformer that was like really fun but the creation mode was so uh i don't even know it was it was so fleshed out that people were making stuff and sharing it online that was practically on par with the stuff that the studio made in story mode yeah people were going ham in there and it, it definitely sucks because uh the company that made it media molecule i know there was some conversation when their most recent game dreams was coming out about whether or not people should be able to own the ip of levels they create in dreams and like mm-hmm. play media molecule i think had a softer tone with it but sony since it's a play it was initially solely on playstation was like of course you can't own your own ip like you're paying to use our platform and since you're paying to use our platform everything you make on the platform belongs to us but it does it does raise a question like yeah. it, even though i paid 60 bucks to play little big planet so it's at least a little different than roblox like you're you're paying to be a part of this ecosystem but everything you make within the ecosystem belongs to the platform holder and yeah. roblox is even more questionable considering you didn't pay anything at the door to get in so yeah. it it makes complete and total sense that they want to own all of it but man it sounds predatory as hell it's, it's very sketchy i mean the closest thing i like you said i got to that as a kid was i believe when super smash brothers brawl came out and there's this mm. mode where you could create your own stage mm-hmm. oh my god the hours i put into i made like <laughs> effectively a death trap where if you got like hit like in one direction there's a bunch of spikes and stuff and like i just made like some of the most ruthless shit of all time like my friends hated it when we hit like random and we like got a stage that i had made um and I just love that creativity. I think it fosters creativity in kids and maybe gets kids interested in, in the concept of, of making games, not just playing them. Um, and I don't really know what is an ethical way to do that, but I Roblox ain't it. <laughs> I think the, the ethical way, at least a more ethical way to do it, is not to dangle a dollar on a string in front of a kid and go, make a really good Super Smash Brothers level and Reggie fils will mail you $100 so that they're always pushing themselves to try and get that hundred yeah, make money i think we take yeah. the monetization aspect of it maybe that's yeah. a little that better. would yeah probably is there anything else you've been looking at lately any cool games uh something i've been looking at was that indie world presentation that nintendo had i guess it was oh, like two yeah. weeks ago now but there was some cool shit in that 
we don't have to spend too long on the indie world presentation uh i just love these these are honestly almost more exciting for me than nintendo directs because nintendo directs are usually like the big bombastic 60 dollar games that i'm probably only gonna buy one of them in the next year and a half when i see it but yeah the indie world presentations are so much more like slower and it's they show six or seven games and you know none of them are going to cost more than 30 bucks and they none of them were developed by a team of more than like 30 people and mm -hmm. there, there's some cool stuff uh in this presentation uh, one i saw it looked really cool was i think it was the first game in the presentation it's called sea of stars and it's a heavily 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 chrono trigger inspired turn-based rpg that oh, we is, love that. Oh, it looks great. It's developed by the same studio that made The Messenger, which I never played, but I heard was really cool. It's like a Strider, Shinobi-esque, like, ninja platformer type, but yeah. Sea of Stars looks cool, and it's going to have music from Yasunori Mitsuda, who did the music for Chrono Trigger, so top-tier shit looks awesome. Yeah. I saw Chicory. She's coming Ooh. to the Switch. Ooh. She is Ooh. out on Switch now. I haven't picked it up yet because I'm kind of knee-deep in a couple other things, but yeah. Chicory is one of those games that when I saw it out on PC and PS4, I was like, this game looks tailor-made for the Switch. Uh, for people who've never seen it, I've not done a lot of research on it because I, I know I'm going to get it, so I'd like to go in mostly blind, but I know you play as a little dog and you have a magic paintbrush, and I've heard it described as like a coloring book adventure game, so it... It looks adorable. It's got music by Lena Rain, who did the music for Celeste. Uh, I fucking love Lena Rain's music. That honestly sold me on it before I even know anything else about the game. So looks great. I'm glad it's on Switch. Yeah, I actually got an eShop card. Uh, my brother got me an eShop card for Christmas and some Legend of Zelda socks. King. Ooh. King. Ooh. And a Switch case. He really went hard on the gamer shit for me this birthday um so i've been looking at uh, any like indie games to get so now it's time for our favorite segment big uh, if true enormous if true i think that's big what we've settled on true <laughs> i um, think that's what we've settled on calling our uh, our leak segment you gotta yeah, you gotta big if true it's not called big if true so i'm the latest big if true I saw this tweet. I think we both saw this tweet. It was by a user uh, at Scrambled Faz. That's called, it's called Scramble like Scrambled Eggs and then F-A-Z. Uh, they've been pretty prolific in tweeting about Persona stuff and Persona rumors and all sorts of things like that. So they're kind of like a, a known source, if you will. Um, they have been saying that they went through some of the web pages of the Midnight Channel edition of Persona 4. For those who don't know what the Midnight Channel is, I didn't know the Midnight Channel edition. Uh, the Midnight Channel edition is Persona 4 Golden as well as Persona 4 Ultimax. It's like the whole Persona 4, everything besides like dancing all night. Um, that combo coming allegedly, woo woo woo, allegedly, uh, coming to the Switch. And this is one of those things that, like, I just try not to think about it in, like, because it's just simply too good to be true. Yeah. I don't know. What do you think? I, Persona 4 Golden coming to the Switch has kind of felt like a no-brainer to me from day one. Like, we talked about the Persona series for people unacquainted with this particular one. Persona 4 was originally released on the PS2. It was like a super, super late release PS2 game too. I think the PS3 was already out by the time. Yeah, by the time. it came out like an 08. It was like an yeah. extremely late PS2 release. 
So it comes out on PS2. It gets acclaim, but probably not as much acclaim as it could have gotten because like the PS3 was already out. People were already playing Assassin's Creed on the PS3. So why the fuck would they buy this JRPG on the PS2? And then it was re-released on, drumroll please, the PlayStation Vita. So uh, all- the, the best-selling console of all time. So all 15 people who owned a PlayStation Vita got Persona 4 Golden and said that it was awesome. Like, it's a re-release of Persona 4. They added in a new character, a whole new, like, social link track and all kinds of new features and stuff. Yeah, and then it was just kind of left to fester on the Vita, which, again, I everybody I know who has a Vita loves it, but I was not about to drop that much money for a Persona 4 Golden box. But they did release Persona 4 Golden on Steam recently. So it has kind of felt like a no-brainer to me that they release it on the Switch. But I know I've heard people who are detractors of this rumor say that there's really no rhyme or reason to what Atlas does when it comes to releasing these games. So it's kind of just up to the the winds of fate to see whether this game actually does come to Switch. Yeah, Atlas is a little hard for me to read. Um, I don't really know what like their kind of history is with these things. I mean, they've had Persona games, but not like not um mainline entry persona games for switch they've had you know like strikers and, and things like that but not actual ones it just feels like there's like a, a very dipped a toe in the water by having something like p5 strikers and i just want them to just take the full plunge to just put a mainline game in it i persona 4 is my first entry into the persona series uh my brother has a ps2 because he loves his ps2 and like that's his baby and um I was a freshman in high school and we we're looking at, we, we've had this PS2 forever. And we were like, I wonder if there's any like PS2 games we haven't played. Like, cause we've had this PS2 basically my whole life. And we're just like looking at, was there any like PS2 games that we just like have been sleeping on for 15 years? Like we just like didn't get around to playing. And my brother was like, oh, this is like JRPG called Persona 4. And we found like a used copy on Amazon. And he got it and it like changed it it true that's the game that changed the game for me that's the game that got me heavily into jrpgs yeah um and i would love the opportunity to replay that especially on like a switch on a portable format like i'll get into talking more about smt on the switch but all i have to say is that would that just it would go so well a type, that type of game is made for a console like the switch and i just hope it's true and also, and that's another thing related to Atlas, which is totally unrelated, but some of Atlas's Persona 25th anniversary merch kind of goes hard. Oh, really? I haven't looked at it a whole yeah, lot. Yeah, it kind of goes hard. They have, like, really cool shirts and posters and shit, and then also they released the, the soundtracks of all five of the Persona games on, Ooh. like, vinyls, and they're all, like, four LPs, <sighs> and they're, like, $100 for each game soundtrack. It's, like, oh, that's awesome. some bonkers shit, but I would do anything to get four or five on vinyl. I will say too, uh, you talked about Atlas kind of dipping a toe in the water. There, This is not the first Persona 4 on Switch rumor or even the only one floating around right now. Like back at the Game Awards, I think it was like one of the first uh, world premiere breaks. They cut <laughs> to a screen that said a Persona 25th anniversary. And I was like doing dishes and I nearly dropped what I was holding. So I was like, holy shit, is it gonna be P4 Golden? And then Teddy, the anthropomorphic teddy bear character from Persona 4 comes on screen. That's my I was boy. Like, I was like, I'm going to shit myself. And then they were like, it's not Persona 4. It's the fighting game sequel to Persona 4, Persona 4 Ultimax. And I was like, I, I guess it's better than nothing. But 
just like a week after the game awards there was another rumor that was floating around from another leaker whose name is zippo zippo is apparently kind of hit or miss in the uh game leaking community but zippo said that persona 3 portable is getting a remaster and potentially a multi-platform remaster bro don't don't hurt me like this have you ever played so, persona 3 i've played some of persona 3 but i've never beaten it the way i dude, have four and five dude Persona 3 hits different. Persona 3 yeah. is it's the game for the Hot Topic kids. I'll just say it's the Nightmare Before Christmas. It's the Invader Zim of the Persona series. Um, I love it and it looks like shit and it plays like shit sometimes. Yeah. Well, but I know I would... Persona Persona 3 is also kind of a tricky one because if it's uh it was released a bunch of times, I know, because it's like wasn't it the original FES. version? Yeah, I don't really know what the difference is with FES, but then there's also the PSP version that some people say is like better than the PS2 version. Yes, yeah, so we had Persona 3 FES on our PS2. Mm -hmm. um, it, uh, so again, it's like 10 years ago when my brother and I first got insanely into JRPGs. But mm -hmm. uh, from what I remember, Persona 3 FES came with an epilogue. Oh, It's that's called cool. The Answer. It is very important. Um major like just an ending i would have never expected a game to have mm -hmm. especially a persona game um mm -hmm. but it's it's yeah it comes with a, a pretty lengthy epilogue where you play as characters other than the, the protagonist so oh, that's I think cool that uh is pretty important i played the game like i played the original game but i never played the answer and my brother actually never completed the answer because he found it to be too hard hmm. Um, it, yeah, those older Persona games are like pretty brutally hard. So I would love to see what it would look like remastered, how yeah. it would play and feel like. Um, another thing I believe that came with FES was the introduction of hard mode into that game. So that game was actually not originally written or like created to have a hard mode. And this was a big problem. I remember this because I remember watching my brother play hard mode. I played like easy or like whatever. And <laughs> the thing is, is that that game was not structured for hard mode. So there were some bosses that I felt like the game was broken. Oh God. On hard mode. Um, yeah. So there, there would have to be not just like obviously updating the graphics and stuff, but I think there'd have to be some serious discussions about quality of life updates, but I hope they do. Um, it's like a, a little fossil that they need to restore. <laughs> I would love to see Persona 3 be restored. It, it would be really cool to see 3 especially get re-released, even if I think 4 is the one that I'm itching to replay on Switch, because having played it all the way through, like I just really love those characters and I love that game's story. But 3 has never really gotten, I guess, a definitive release in the same way that Golden was for 4 and Royal kind of was for 5. Because like you say, with 3, like it got FES, but then there was the portable version of 3, that I know also added in like a female main character option, which yes, I've read some people like that version more because of that. So it, it really needs a version to kind of collect all of the the things that have been made and make it like a Persona 3 golden version. Yeah, I also want to add that that's the only Persona game that I'm aware of that has a female protagonist option. And it's the only Persona game in which the epilogue is actually wrapped up in the game. Like mm -hmm. I know Persona 4 Ultimax has some canon stuff, I know Persona 5, like some of the Persona 5 strikers, things like that actually have some canon stuff following <laughs> those characters after the events of that game, which is kind of surprising to me, but I guess I should play them. Um, but in that regard, uh, Persona 3 FES actually has an epilogue, and that's it. And there, you really can't like sequel that or follow up on that um, yeah. the way it ended. I'm not trying to be like spoiler alert, but like, 
I'm gonna rank this one as enormous if true, and enormous I if true. <laughs> and I really hope that it is a real leak and not bullshit. Yeah. And on that note, what are you playing, Noah? Man, what am I playing? Um, it's been a couple of weeks, so I had some time to sink more gaming time into the stuff I was playing. I beat Return of the Obra Dinn, which I think that was one of the last games I brought is something I was playing. Uh, if you missed the last episode, it's a first-person mystery game where you play as an insurance agent tasked with figuring out how all 60 passengers of a an East India trading company boat just up and disappeared. It takes place in like the 19th century you're just a guy with a magic pocket watch who can relive the last couple of seconds of everybody's dying moments. And it was one of the coolest games I've ever played. Uh, it grabs you by the fucking neck the minute you start it. And the story is told very out of sequence. You, you only get these snippets that are then recorded in a large book by investigating dead bodies on this boat. And there are nine chapters in total and the game starts you at the last chapter. So I'm not going to spoil anything because the entire game is about unraveling the story, but it starts you at the very end of what happened on this boat. And so you're immediately like, how the fuck did they get here? And you are given the ship's manifest with 60 names on it, and you're given a painting of everybody on the ship, and you're told to match every face with every name. And it seems completely insurmountable in the beginning, but after you get the first like three names and then the next three names and then the next three names, it just kind of torrents its way through. And it makes you feel like such a genius when you're playing it. It's an incredible, incredible game. I cannot recommend it enough. So I was I finished Return of the Oberdin and I briefly mentioned Beast Breakers earlier, which is something I've kind of dipped my toe into. Uh, talk about games not made ethically. I have also dipped my toe into Assassin's Creed Valhalla, which is the <laughs> developed Renowned by ethical studio Ubisoft. Yeah, Ubisoft, known for how well they treat uh, their employees. We had a Secret Santa thing at my office, and I managed to get like the the one person in the office that I have the most in common with, and they gave me some cool stuff, including their copy of Assassin's Creed Valhalla for the PS4 that somebody gave them, and they didn't like it. So I didn't spend any money on this Ubisoft game. So I feel good about that. And that's that has literally been an impediment for me. Like uh, the last Assassin's Creed game I played to completion was the America one that came out like over 10 years ago. And oh, I remember that one. Yeah, it sucked. It was hot garbage. You and played like an angsty, like Native American kid. Is that yeah, what yeah, something like that. It's been a while. And I... I briefly played some of the pirate one that came after that, and I found it to be a really good pirate game, but a really bad Assassin's Creed game. So there's about 10 years of Assassin's Creed story and gameplay evolutions that I'm not up on. I'm re I'm really enjoying my time with it. Uh, I get this itch every now and then. I don't know if you have the same thing where you I just like really desperately want to play an open world game. It happens like once every few months. Mm -hmm. I just really want to run around in circles in an open world and discover stuff. And then I eventually play it for a month and then drop it and never think about it again. This is your um, Skyrim problem. This is my Skyrim problem, yeah. And uh, the, the world is not unlike Skyrim because Valhalla, you play as a Viking. Their name is Eivor. You can choose for Eivor to be either a man or a woman, or you can set Eivor to this uh, 
this thing where like they will gravitate between the male and the female character model depending on story events which is kind of neat um for for people who are unaware to the assassin's creed series famously really cool historical settings uh surrounded by an incredibly frustrating and boring framing device that involves the modern day and people using like the matrix to jack into historical figures that they're related yeah jesus to, to jack into uh historical figures they're related to i thought they had dropped the present day framing device so i was very surprised when i was thrown out of my cool viking and thrown into a present day log cabin that i was supposed to be investigating and i'm just like i don't give a shit about this man i want to just yeah. go back to i want to just go back to cutting people's heads off and stuff but it's fun i'm enjoying it uh it has dark souls combat now the last time I played an Assassin's Creed game, it had Arkham Asylum combat, so I was kind of caught off guard by that, but yeah, yeah. it's alright. Uh, I would recommend spending money on something like Beast Breakers or Obra Dinn, but if somebody hands you a copy of Assassin's Creed Valhalla, maybe install it and play it for a little bit. Right on. What are you playing, Tori? Sorry, I keep interrupting you, but uh, I did take a little break from Dark Souls 3 only because I was actually playing it. <laughs> I was playing it in a little game my ass beat. Um, as one does, and I got uh, an Amazon delivery notification, and I was like, I didn't buy anything on Amazon. And then I opened up the package, and it was a gift from my brother for my birthday a couple weeks ago, and it was Shimagami Tensei. And I was Whoa. like, Well, I'm gonna pause this for a minute. You were like, Peace out, Dark Souls. I'm gonna go play Fuck something you, turn-based. Dark Souls. Now I'm like 20 hours deep into, <laughs> into SMT, actually more like 22 hours. Um, so I've like I'm fully committed to it now, and oh my god, I love it. It's like it's yeah. one of those. I read this one tweet by this SMT like fan account on Twitter that is like SMT fans be like, I fucking love this game, and then they suffer for fifty hours. Like that's just the whole game. It's just <laughs> me making an incremental progress in the storyline and just grinding for three days. And I don't yeah. know why, but I love it. <laughs> like. Maybe it's because I haven't played a full-fledged like Persona-esque like Atlas game since I was in high school, so I'm just like really embracing this right now. Um, like that type, that type of turn-based RPG. Like, yeah, I played Final Fantasy VII, but like it's not the same. Um, this is like a classic like turn-based JRPG, and yeah, the story's kind of whack. Um, like, and again, like SMT fans will like totally like drag me for this. But having come from the Persona world where, like, you have a bunch of friends and, like, there's a lot of cute backstories and you have a little animal friend and everything's very cutesy and very relational. And then this one's like, you're a weirdo that no one's friends with. <laughs> you're, you're actually in hell. Your entire life is fake. Your life is a simulation and God made the simulation. You're like, what oh the Oh, my fuck? God. My, your um, only friends are your hell demons now. Literally, man. My only friends are my demons. And like a couple other kids from my high school who can somehow also summon demons. Um, so yeah, it was a little, the story is a little jarring, honestly. And it's not my favorite. I just like exploring the world, the what's called the netherworld. It's like a hell, uh, hellish abandoned version of Tokyo. I just like exploring it. There's these little guys you can create called Mimen or Miman. It's called M it's spelled M-I-M-A-N. And there are these little red guys that you collect them. And if you collect them, you get points. So you can train those points to get uh, certain abilities in battle, like increasing oh, cool. the stock amount of demons or personas you can have. Um, things like that. Um, gaining skills by fusing and, and things like that. 
Um, there's this really cool mechanic in the game called essence fusion. It is like a different type of fusion. Um, like if you ever play a persona game where you can like fuse your personas to make a new persona, like that's cool. Uh, in the game, you yourself are like a demon. So you are like a persona. Um, you are fighting and casting moves. You're not using other entities that do that. And so you can hmm. do this thing called essence fusion where you like gain skills uh, from other demons for yourself. So Ooh. you can like create your own power. So if you want to be a person who casts super powerful ice spells, you can do that with essence fusion by gaining other people's moves other people's elemental weaknesses and resistances and it's super cool i am a person who heals and does sick ass lightning attacks and it's that's awesome fun that's um, cool that there's that creativity there though where everybody who plays it is going to end up with like a slightly different main character yeah and you can also do that to your demons you can actually fuse essences of demons into your demons in your party to like oh, wow. level up the type of moves they have and their resistances and like all sorts of stuff like There'll be times where I go into a boss fight and like I'm weak to ice and it's an ice boss and he just like just rips me apart. And so I go yeah. get an essence fusion of a demon who's like resistant to ice. And I'm like, nice. And I walk into that battle a lot better off. And yeah, you can just customize yourself and your party. And I, I love the creativity of it. And I love finding like random things in corners of the desert. So yeah. Is this a game you would recommend, you think, to people who played persona 5 and are really itching because uh, for people who don't know the shin megami tensei games are kind of the the umbrella that also contains the persona series which was originally referred to as shin megami tensei persona but they dropped the smt bit at the beginning because it wasn't snappy enough so it's same characters same battle system but I mean, the SMT games are generally a hell of a lot more difficult. Like, would you recommend yes. this for somebody who is coming off Persona it, 5? I would recommend it to someone who's played Persona 5, yeah. Mm -hmm. If you've never played Persona and you've never, like, you're, like, getting into RPGs, no. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the story is just a little odd and, like, you find yourself, like, what's the point of all of this? Um, I guess if you weren't used to that type of format and just the type of storytelling that's that's prevalent in JRPGs, a lot of like existential religious references. Yeah. Um, that can be off-putting to some people. I don't really care, but like it it is kind of weird. <laughs> you just have to like kind of go with the flow of it. But yeah, I think Persona is a good like springboard for this game. I will know. say I played Shin Megami Tensei 4 on the 3DS and I think it was one of the things I both loved and hated about that game. It, these games kind of make you feel like it's a Pokemon-esque type thing because you're collecting monsters and you're kind of growing attached to these monsters. But in 4, the only way that you, your character could learn new abilities was by maxing out all the abilities that your demon could learn. And then you could take any abilities the demon had. But then after that, you weren't really incentivized to hang on to that demon anymore. It would be like if... Rattata ran out of moves to learn in Pokemon and then you were able to take Rattata's cut but then you had to throw Rattata out because it didn't make any sense to keep it in your party anymore because it was never going to learn any new moves so you were constantly cycling through demons which on one hand adds like a really cool strategy element to it of like okay this demon is no longer useful I can fuse it with something that is no it like yeah. is also no longer useful and get something cool but by the same token like it kind of sucked when you got a demon that had a really cool design a really cool move set but it was a little lower level 
and like I could grind to keep it, but it made more sense in the short term to trash it and get something new. Yeah, I actually do feel that way about this game. Um, demons only learn like one or two new moves after you acquire it, and so afterward, there's no more skills for it to learn. You kind of yeah. get that feeling like in Toy Story, where it's like I don't want to play with you anymore. Because <laughs> um, you just, I yeah, you get it's like sometimes it feels like demons are only good for like five or so levels and you're like okay well you're not learning anything new i guess i have to fuse you now because you're not yeah. learning any like advanced moves um and that sucks because there's some i get really attached to like the fact that jack frost who is like the the mascot for the whole series is like actually yeah. a relatively low level demon he's like maybe not entry level but he's like junior level and i'm already kind of over him like i kind yeah. of want to make a more powerful ice guy like King Frost or something. And I'm like, man, it's over. Like you're kind of like the Mario of, of this franchise. And it, I wish it you is, were higher powerful. Like how it is I kind wish of you more powerful. It is kind of amusing to me that uh the two big monster catching and training RPG franchises on the Switch right now are one where there are nine hundred different monsters and some people know the names of every single one of the monsters and the ethos is you can make a team of whichever six monsters you like. If you power through hard enough, you could do it. And this game is just like, the only one anybody knows is Jack Frost. Fuck you. <laughs> Literally. But yeah, I've been enjoying it. I'm powering through it. Uh, it looks like from what I've read about a 70-hour game, which to, wow. that's actually kind of short compared to the other Persona games I've played. Like Persona 5, I legit spent like 120 hours on. So. Damn. I don't know if that 70 hours is from a completionist point of view, like the person who collects all the Maimon, or if it's just a person who's just powering through the story and not just doing anything, but just grinding story, grinding story, grinding story. But yeah, I've been really enjoying it. Yeah, very, very persona heavy podcast today. Uh, I will say too, for people who are subscribed to PlayStation Plus on the PlayStation 4 or 5, one of the games that's going to be free for PlayStation Plus subscribers in January is Persona 5 Strikers, the Dynasty Warriors spinoff to Persona 5, which, did you say that's like actually a canon content, like continuation of yes. Persona 5's story? That's crazy. That's crazy to me. I know. I guess I have to play it now. Yeah, I guess I'm going to have to play that. So that'll be free for people who have PlayStation Plus in January. So I just recently re-upped my PlayStation Plus subscription, so I might check that out. Hell Yeah. We'll be back soon with a podcast about games we liked in 2021, right? Yeah, our next show is going to be, well, technically it will be in 2022, but it's going to be a little roundup of our favorite games of 2021, what we liked, what we didn't. Um, it'll be games that we played in 2021, not necessarily games that came out in 2021, but it'll be, you know, just the things we've played and enjoyed in the past year and what we're looking forward to in 2022. So stick around for that. Yeah, be lots of fun. Thanks for listening to the show. Our intro and outro music is Burn Tap by Geist. You can listen to more of their music at Noah Geist, N-O-A-H-G-E-I-S-T dot bandcamp dot com. Our show art was made by Kai at Wisp Graphics. Tori, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter, unfortunately, at Tori underscore as underscore always. You can find me on the Bird app at Noah underscore Hertz, spelled H-U-R-T-S. And you can find the show on Twitter at press underscore start pod. You can also email us at heypressstart at gmail.com. Uh, email us, let us know if you played anything cool in 2021, especially if it wasn't something that came out in 2021. If you played Super Mario 64 for the first time this year, 
I want to hear about it. Oh, I um, also want to hear about that. <laughs> yeah. And that's the show. Uh, gamers of the world unite. You have nothing to lose but your chains, controllers. I don't know. But your fetters. sonic rings. But your sonic. You have nothing to lose but your sonic rings. <laughs>